0: Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Uh, We thank you for the privilege of being able to gather together as your people. And we just ask now that you help us uh, to cast away from our minds those things that might distract us for the next little while as we think about your word. We pray that we would clear our minds to hear you speak and to hear you from your word so that we might live rightly as your people as you change us to be more like Jesus, your son. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, let me start with a question. <clears throat> how do you go at praising God? Uh, I think we you know, we often talk about daily prayer or talk about daily Bible reading. And, and if all of us are honest, would put our hand up and say we struggle on a daily basis with our daily prayer and, and daily Bible reading. But we don't often talk about daily praise. Just think about it. How, how often do you praise God through your day? Uh, and at one level, it's it's an easy question to answer on a Sunday. We've just sung the praises of God. Uh, we'll do it again before the service end. But how do you go at praising God come Sunday afternoon or Monday morning or when you get to Wednesday in the middle of the week where all the stresses of the week are building up and, and Friday is looming closer and you have got all the stuff done that, that you need to get done? How often do we remember to praise God? Or well, when's the last time you've heard or, you, or you've uh, said to someone, In light of something they've shared to you, praise God. Uh, When's the last time you've shared some good news or heard some mercy of God? And in that moment, as someone has been sharing or you've been sharing, you simply say, praise God. Now, how good is that? How good is God? How great is He? You see, it's an interesting question, I think, particularly for us as Australians. Because we're not uh, prone to giving praise to anyone. Uh, we actually take great pride in the, you know, in the sarcastic comment and the witty remark and uh, we take great pride in the, in the friendly, humorous sledge. Uh, we mostly feel uncomfortable even if someone says something praiseworthy about us. Like, we like it secretly, we think it's great, but we don't know what to do with it when someone praises us. It's just not what we do often as Australians. But if you were to do a simple word search of the word praise in the Bible, you would see that the Bible is full of praise, and that the Christian life is to be full of praise. And it's no better place uh, to see that than in the Psalms. So if you read through the Psalms, the word praise comes up something like 200 times, just in the book of Psalms. Praise for God's word, Uh, praise for his mercy, praise for his grace. Praise that he's the creator who actually created us and gave us life. Praise that he sustains all things and that the world doesn't just collapse and stop operating. Praise for his faithfulness and compassion and his loving kindness. Uh, As you read the Psalms, you can barely read a stanza of any of the Psalms without seeing that word praise. Praise for something God has done or said or something that he simply is as the one and only God of of all the universe. So, it's a good question to ask ourselves how are we going at praising God? If He is the Creator, if He's made you, if He's given us everything we have and everything we enjoy, how is your daily praise of Him? So, here's the plan for the next two weeks. Uh, This week and next, we're going to look at uh, two Psalms Psalm 30 today and Psalm 32 next week. And here's my uh, simple hope as a result of these two Psalms, my hope is. That all of us might praise God more. And Psalm 30 is a great place to start because what Psalm 30 will teach us is that we were created and we exist to the praise of God's glory. That's why God made us. And part of the, part of the, the warning of Psalm 30, as we'll see, is when we're not praising God, more often than not, the reason why we're not praising him is because we're too busy praising ourselves. It's because we've deceived ourselves into thinking that the way our life is, is somehow because of our own great efforts. And really, that's the great deception of all humanity, particularly for us in in the prosperous West, Uh, and even so for us in Sydney, in our prosperous city. We so quickly think and believe that the reason we live the lives we live and have the health and wealth and skills that we have is because of me, because of our great efforts, But once we remember that our first breath as we entered this life was a gift from God given to us, well then we remember that every breath deserves to be spent praising God. So let's have a look at Psalm 30. Make sure you're there now. Make sure you've got your Bible open there. And if you look at Psalm 30, just remember that the titles of the psalm are not the original uh, the titles of the psalm have been put there by our Bible translators. Sometimes they're helpful, uh, sometimes less so, sometimes very unhelpful. But the subtitle, if you have a look under the title, the subtitle is part of the original. And with Psalm 30, we can see that this is a psalm of David. So this is King David, if you remember, uh, from 1 and 2 uh, Samuel. And it's a psalm of dedication for the house. And it's most probably they're referring to the temple. But in that subtitle, it doesn't tell us much more than that. Which means as we read this psalm, we don't know exactly what situation David is referring to. So David's writing it. He's writing it in light of a situation, but we don't know exactly what that situation is. So in verse 1, just have a look, verse 1. In verse 1, David exalts God for not allowing his enemies to triumph over him. But we don't know exactly who those enemies are. And if you look at verse 2, look at verse 2, David, uh, speaks of crying out for God's help, for healing, and God heals him, but we don't know exactly what that healing was, uh, what he was healed from, most likely, uh, some sort of serious illness. So we don't know the exact situation David is referring to, but whatever it is, as we read this psalm, we know it wasn't good. Whatever situation he was in, we've got to imagine David here being as good as dead, as he pens this psalm, as he reflects and pens this psalm, and you see that in verse three. See, so have a look at verse three. You see, God brought David up from Sheol. Uh, he spared him from the pit, uh, which kind of sounds like you know one of those places of punishment in those prison movies. You know, when prisoners act badly, they get kind of thrown in the pit. Sounds like that sort of place. But uh, the Sheol and, and the pit in the Old Testament—it's the place of the dead. Uh, it's speaking about death. And so what we need to imagine with this psalm is that David had one foot firmly in the place of Sheol. One foot firmly in the grave. He was in the pit. He was as good as dead. Uh, th- this is the prognosis where the doctor says to you, it's terminal. Uh, you won't recover. You only have so long to live. That, that's the situation David was writing from. And on top of that, we can imagine David's enemies rejoicing in his coming death. And again, we don't know exactly who those enemies were. That There could have been some from the surrounding nations who hated Israel and hated God and hated David as God's king. Or even it could be enemies from within Israel. It could have been some sort of enemy who hated David and thought, hey, I'll be a better king than David. I want to get rid of David so I can be king instead. It could be either of those. So that seems to be the kind of situation here, but the point is, it's serious. As David writes this psalm, we shouldn't make light of it. King David was was as good as dead. And yet, why does David exalt God in verse 1, if that's his situation? Why why does he praise God? He praises him because he'd healed him. He praised him because his enemies were not allowed to triumph over him because he was spared Sheol, spared the pit, spared death. And so what David does next in the psalm is in light of that, he invites other people, the other people of God, to praise God as well. So have a look at verse 4. Have a look at verse 4. So David calls upon the people. He says, Sing to Yahweh, you his faithful ones, and praise his holy name. And wouldn't you do the same? Again, just just imagine you're David and you're on your deathbed and you're as good as dead and then God miraculously healed you, you escaped death. Well, wouldn't you just want to tell everyone? Wouldn't you want to call upon everyone to, to, to praise God and say, look how good God is. I, I was as good as dead and then he saved me. That is the kind of God he is. You should praise him too. And the Bible never promises that God will heal us from physical ailments, but he can. And if he did, and if it was terminal, well, you'd call everyone. You'd call your folks. You'd call your brothers and sisters and your friends. You'd call your third cousin in Broken Hill or in, or in Shanghai or Nigeria or, or Delhi. You'd invite everyone to come and praise God with you. But... It's verse five that makes this psalm quite interesting. Because have a look at verse five. Why does God, sorry, why does David call upon the people to praise God in verse five? What's the reason? See, have a look at verse five. So, So David says, praise God. Why? For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor a lifetime. Weeping may spend the night, but there is joy in the morning. You see, why does David speak of God's anger? And why does he speak of God's favor? See, David doesn't say praise God because look at how he saved me. He says you faithful ones praise God because his anger only lasts a moment. And his favor lasts a lifetime. And so why mention anger? Why mention favor? Well, the answer is in verse 6 and 7. And this is where we learn of David's self-confidence as he writes and reflects on this psalm. Look from verse 6. Look at what he says. Verse 6. He says, when I, when I, David, was secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you showed your favor, you made me stand like a strong mountain. When you hid your face, I was terrified. And so this is what we must understand with this psalm. David got caught up in his own self-confidence. He's reflecting on that time when he, when he boasted almost, saying, I was secure. I said, I will never be shaken. And David's heart had got to that place where he thought that, that all the good things that were happening in his life were because of him. And if you remember King David's story, at multiple times in his life, his life got to a very good place. Uh, as a young man, he was at King Saul's side, if you remember, even though he was just a shepherd boy. Uh, as a young warrior, do you remember what the women sang about him? The women would sing, Saul has killed his thousands, but David, his tens of thousands, he, he was a celebrity. And when David became king, he won battle after battle and he, he built a great palace for himself. And Israel, as God's people, prospered under him. And at some point in all that, David thought to himself, well, isn't life great? Isn't my life so secure? I will never be shaken. Such is my confidence in all that I have built for myself, in all that I have. But what David didn't realize, or at least didn't acknowledge as much as he should have, is that all of that was from God. It was only because of God's favor that he stood like a strong mountain, like he says in the psalm. And at this point, I think there's a little bit of a warning for us. You see, when life is going well, and it's not always going well, but when life is going well, we might be tempted to think, well, haven't I done well for myself? Look at all I have accomplished for myself. Don't I deserve it? Look at the marks I got in my exams. Look at the job that I secured for myself. Look at the house I've been able to provide for my family. Look at how fit and healthy I am. I haven't got any bad illnesses. Look at how good things are. Haven't I done well for myself? You see, all of that is false. That any of us have the breath of life at all is simply a kindness of God, the creator. That any of us were born into a country, let alone if you were born into this country, where you can even have such a thing as an exam, means that you were born in a place where there was education. And all of that is because of the mercy of God. What makes any of us think that we deserve to be born into the country we were born in? What makes any of us think that we deserve not to have been born in the slums where actually we'll be looking for our food in a tip on a daily basis? No education, no daily bread. That any of us have the privilege to work and to be paid for that work is only because God has spared you and me slavery. That you have the money for a house is only a result of the abilities that God has given you. That you are fit and healthy is a gift from God in a world that's affected by sin and, and sickness and death. It's not guaranteed. You see, when we remember those things, that there is a creator God and he made you and he made me and all that we have, all that we enjoy is from him, well then there's only one thing to do when things are going well, isn't there? You praise God. You thank him. Because the only reason that things are going well is because of his favour and his blessing. We don't deserve any of it. Don't ever think otherwise. That's the deception of the devil. And that's not to say that when things aren't going well that then we should not praise God. Not at all. You see, that the greatest of praise to God comes from the lips of suffering saints who in their suffering and weakness, yet they praise God. And that's what we learn in the book of Job, if you remember the book of Job. We, we learn that God is worthy of worship simply because of God, simply because he's worthy of worship. That's why you worship him, not because of your circumstances. But the lesson in the is when things are good, that's when we're prone to become proud. That's when we, we deceive ourselves into thinking things are well because of me. And it's especially an issue, I think, for us in our prosperous city where things on the whole are generally good. And in this psalm, David had become much too confident in himself. He was in sin in his pride. And you see that in verse 11. See, look at verse 11 for a moment. See, what was David doing in verse 11? David was lamenting. and, And he put on sackcloth. And more often than not, lament in the Bible and and the putting on a sackcloth, which is basically like putting on a a giant potato sack, that's that's what it was like to put on sackcloth, Uh, lament and sackcloth in the Bible are signs of repentance, of repenting from sin. And so the movement of the psalm is that David had become too confident, too self-confident in himself, thinking that that he was responsible for all the good things in his life, when actually it was only because of God's favour. And so God, in his right anger at David for his pride, for a moment, brought great suffering upon David. See, that's why his anger lasts for a moment. He brought great suffering upon David. So much so that he had one foot firmly in Sheol, And it's in that moment of despair and suffering, when David was as good as dead, that he then laments, that that he puts on sackcloth, that he he cries out to God for help and acknowledges his sin and the utter stupidity of his self-confidence. And it's in that moment that we get what is the center of this psalm in verses 8 to 10. And this is point three. Look at verses 8 to 10. And this is David's petition to God, which again, you have as he reflects on it, you have to imagine him on his deathbed making this petition to God. Look what he says from verse 8. So imagine David reflecting on himself in his deathbed. Verse 8, Lord, I called to you. I sought favor from my Lord. And I said this, I said, what gain is there in my death? If I go down to the pits, will the dust praise you? Will it, the dust, proclaim your truth? Lord, listen and be gracious to me. Lord, be my helper. And aren't those very interesting verses? Because what reason does David give to God as to why God should spare him death? See, David doesn't say to God, hey God, think, think of all the good you could use me for. And he doesn't say, imagine how much you could use me to help prosper Israel even more, God. I'm useful to you, God. Spare me and use me. Uh, or to put it in our modern day language, he doesn't say, imagine the, the great lawyer I could be and all the justice I could bring. He, he doesn't say, imagine the doctor you could make me to cure the sick or, or the good you could use me for to, to serve the poor. Or even he doesn't say, imagine, uh, uh, spare me God so, so, so I can continue to be a father to my children because they need me. Or, or a child to my aging parents because they need me. He doesn't say, you know, I need to be a friend to others in their time of suffering. See, they're all good things. Those are all godly things. They're all things that Christians should seek to be as we have opportunity. But David doesn't say any of that to God on his deathbed. He doesn't say, spare me for those things. What does David say? He says, spare my death, God, because if I go down to the pits, how can I praise you? How can my lips speak of you and bring you glory as I praise you? If I turn to dust, which is what will happen to all our mortal bodies, how will the dust praise you or proclaim your truth so that others may also praise you? You see, David in his being humbled by God was reminded of why he exists. God gave him his breath and life and everything else to praise God. you see it again in verse 11 and 12 look at verse 11 and 12 look what he says he says you turned my lament into dancing you removed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness why so that i can sing to you and not be silent because if you're dead you're silent lord my god i will praise you forever you see this is a psalm of david reminding himself that he exists to praise god It's a psalm that tells of God's saving of David so that David might continue to praise God. And it's a psalm which teaches us that God is faithful to his covenant king because he made promises to David. And so he faithfully keeps his promises to David. And so I want to finish with two reflections for us today and what this psalm means for us today. And both of them under the heading of saved to praise, which is our last point. Uh, And the first reflection is the most important, and it naturally leads uh, to the second. But the first reflection is this. It was right for David to praise God in this psalm. He was as good as dead, and he petitioned to God for his favour, and God saved him. And so it's only right, in light of what God had done for David, for David to give himself in praise to God forever. That's how the psalm ends. I will praise you forever. And that is right But how much more for us? You see, go to Ephesians chapter 2. This is not going to be up on the screen. Flick your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2. I'll wait for you to flick. It's good at times for us not to put it up on the screen if you flick your Bibles or scroll on your screens. Ephesians chapter 2. If you're in your paper Bible, remember General Electric Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Ephesians chapter 2. Flick there, it's good for us to do a little bit of flicking work. You see, what does Ephesians chapter two verse one say? Oh look at that. Ephesians two verse one. It says this. It says, You were dead in trespasses and sin. And it doesn't say you are as good as dead. It's it's not like David whose physical illness almost led to physical death. No, no. The the New Testament tells us that every single human being by default is dead in trespasses and sin. I I know it's strange, but we're born dead in trespasses and sin. And the death being referred to there isn't simply physical death. it's, It's spiritual death. It's death that leads to eternal judgment. And so my first reflection for us is this. If David gave himself in praise to God for God's favour upon him, in saving him from illness, from physical death, well, how much more should we praise God for all his favour to us in Jesus? In the one who has saved us from eternal death? You see, do you realise that God's favour to you in Jesus... Means that you are no longer dead in sin and trespasses do you realize that you were heading for what the bible calls hell see forget sheol forget the pit david rightly feared that kind of physical death but the death we've been spared is spiritual death eternal death and all that because of jesus praise god right and we've got to be careful on this because I think this becomes ordinary to us. Uh, a lot of you, I know, serve and follow the Lord Jesus and you hear, oh yes, Jesus died for my sins. Oh yes, I've been given eternal life through Jesus. Oh yes, I'm spared eternal judgment because of Jesus. Good, good, righto. We've got to be careful that that doesn't become ordinary to us. Uh, when you've got a spare hour or so on a, on a gloomy, rainy night, go and read Jonathan Edwards' sermon. It's titled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And it's from 1741. So this is a long time before the politically correct uh, speakings of our day. And it's very confronting. But here's a snippet. And they told it straight in those days. But in speaking of eternal hell, Jonathan Edwards said this. It's up on the screen. He said, It would be dreadful to suffer the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God one moment. But you must suffer it all eternity there will be no end to this horrible misery when you look forward you shall see a long forever a boundless duration before you and when so many ages have been spent by you in this manner you will know that all is but a point to what remains so that your punishment will indeed be infinite how dreadful is the state of those that are daily and hourly in the danger of this great wrath And infinite misery. I mean, I don't mean to, you know, lay it on thick uh, as the year begins, but we've got to learn that from this psalm. Do you see, when you were without Jesus, or if you're sitting here and you are currently without Jesus, what that describes, that is what it means to be dead in trespass and sin. It's not a joke. It's to face God's eternal wrath and judgment. You see, forget physical death. That is that is the death. This is the death that that every human being by default faces. But this is what we need to remember in Jesus, God has poured his favour upon us to save us. And if we understand that, if we grasp that properly, what do we do? We praise God because that is not what we're destined for. And if you just glance your eyes over Ephesians chapter 1, look back at Ephesians chapter 1 now, just across your page. And again, it won't be up on the screen, so make sure you've got your Bible there. But look at Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Because what does Paul do? What does he say there? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, he says, Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? For he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And as you read on that chapter, you see just how richly God has poured his favor upon us in Jesus. And as you read on, you learn that he does all of it to the praise of his glory. So my first reflection and question to us is this. Do you realize just how much in Jesus God has poured his favor upon you? And do you rightly praise him? Which leads to my second and much quicker reflection. And this is where we started. How are we going at praising God? How is our our daily praise of God? And I'm very reluctant to say this, and I'm not sure I'll ever say it again. But uh, we need to get more American. Uh, We need to get our American on. In Australia, we're, we're not great at this. We're not great at praise. Especially praise of our God. We don't say enough to each other, praise God. Uh, We don't, with enough enthusiasm, when we share something that that God has done or is doing or, or, or obviously has done already in Jesus, we don't say enough to each other, how great is God? Or perhaps we can learn from our African brothers and sisters and say a hearty hallelujah at times. I'm not saying we need to be fake, we need to be genuine. But if we were to spend more time in the Psalms, we would see just how often the Psalmists praise God for who He is, for what He's done. And then we'd see how much more reason we've got to praise God again, knowing all that He's done for us in Jesus. So just to, to, to finish by throwing a few suggestions uh, to help us and to get you thinking on how we might be that we might rightly praise God more. Uh, for some suggestions, instead of, um, you know, having uh, Tay-Tay or Coldplay or MJ or Ava or The Stones, depending on what decade you're born into, yeah, in- instead of uh, of listening to that secular stuff of our time all the time during our week, why not during the week listen to some Christian songs? So that instead of singing secular songs through our days, we might have songs of praise on our lips, praise for the cross of Christ and what God has done in Jesus' His Son. Well, why not try and acknowledge God to God more often? Because praise isn't simply singing. That's only one example of praise. You can praise God in lots of ways. Praise is as simple as saying to God, how great it is, God, that you've given me this day, this next breath. We should actually get our cue from the birds in the morning. What do the birds in the morning do as soon as they wake up? They sing. They praise. And we should do the same every morning. Thanking God for the day he's given us, for life, breath, and everything else, and especially Jesus, his son. Or again, when someone tells us something good, say to them, praise God. How good is that? And even when life is hard, praise God, knowing that eternal life with Jesus awaits. And marvel verbally about God to others. You see, that brings God great praise when we speak of him to those who don't know him. Tell the non-believer, proclaim God's truth to them like the Psalm tells us. To the reverse, to be, to be silent before the non-believer, that actually robs God of praise. When we don't speak of Him, it robs God of praise. And I could go on and on because there's an eternity worth of reasons to praise God. And an old hymn by Joseph Addison put it really well. He penned it and said this, it's up on the screen. He said, through all eternity to thee, A joyful song I'll raise, for oh, eternity's too short to utter all I praise. That is how great our God is. You see, we have so many reasons to praise him, we're right to praise him, and we've been saved to praise him. So praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Amen.